Hey, it's Catherine. Did you find out about the double shift because someone told you about it? This December, we're asking people to spread the word about the show. We think every fan of the double shift knows some moms out there who could use the double shift in their lives. So send them a WhatsApp message, post about it in your favorite Facebook moms group, or share it in your workplace Slack. We love our listeners, and I so appreciate you spreading the word about the show. It really makes a difference. This is The Double Shift, the show about a new generation of working mothers. We're challenging how society sees moms and how we see ourselves. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. This season, we're getting personal with our guests because we believe the revolution at work and in society begins with a revolution in our homes. And today, we're going to get a bit more personal with me. Senior producer Rachel McCarthy will be interviewing me about my own life developments of expecting twins, my inspiration for this season's themes, how our guests have changed how I think about my own life, and my thoughts about the future of this show, The Double Shift. But before we get to that part of the discussion, as dedicated listeners to the show know, most of our episodes are not about me and my life. And the last time you all heard from me was a pretty emotional episode that was based on some audio diaries I made, episode six from season one. It's called On Not Having It All. It was about career, family, and also unexpected pregnancy and miscarriage. I recorded that a year and a half ago, and it aired in April of 2019. But a lot has happened since the last time you heard from me. So let's jump into my conversation with senior producer Rachel McCarthy. Can you catch listeners up a little bit on where you are now and what's happened in your personal and professional life over that time? From a professional standpoint, you know, we're at the here at the end of 2019. And I'm basically I look at this year and I have a lot of sense of accomplishment. Like, I don't think I've ever been prouder of a year of work that I've produced. Um, From a personal perspective, after the miscarriage, it was really important to me and my identity and sense of self, I think, to throw myself into my work and feel like I was going back to accomplishing something because I think part of the experience of miscarriage is really it feels like it's like for nothing. Like there's no like it's very hard to feel like good comes from it. I would say for like six or nine months, like my baby was the double shift and my like basically entire world revolved around season one. So towards the end of the first season, my husband Travis and I started talking about trying for another baby and we kind of came to the conclusion that We did want to try to have another child, but if it didn't work out or if I had another miscarriage, like we could be happy with one. And like we we sort of came to it from a pretty like centered place. And so we would see what happened. So a few weeks after season one was over, I took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant. So my husband and I went for a sonogram at eight and a half weeks to confirm the heartbeat and, you know, sort of confirm that the pregnancy was moving forward. I was really nervous. I definitely felt pregnant, like with full first trimester symptoms and everything. But the miscarriage of the last pregnancy, like, was such a surprise to me. I felt like I had no inkling anything was wrong. So it was just a very nerve wracking appointment. So we get to the doctor's office and I'm just like feeling really stressed. And the regular sonogram technician who works at the doctor's office isn't there. So an OBGYN is like filling in for her and doing the 
doing the sonograms. And so, you know, I'm basically like on the table and like my eyes are closed because I'm just like I'm afraid to even open my eyes and see what's on the screen. She's using the little sonogram wand looking around and, you know, then she, she sees the little embryo and the heartbeat. She's like, oh, look, beautiful heartbeat, great numbers on the heartbeat. Everything just looks so wonderful. And I was like, you know, felt this huge sense of relief. Like, obviously, that's not many more things happen in pregnancy, but like that is a very important it's, milestone. It's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Sort of out of nowhere, I just said to her, there's only one in there, right? Like, I don't know. You didn't. (laughs) Like, I don't know why I said that. I just said that to her. And she was like, oh, yes, haha, just one. It looks, everything looks wonderful. Just so happy for you. And then it was kind of like she used the wand to, like, turn a corner. It was like she, like, opened a new door and turned a corner. She's like, well, look over here. And I was like. What do you mean, look over here? She's like, there's another one. It was literally one of those moments where it was like, you go underwater and time stops. Yeah, basically. And I was like, Travis, hold my hand. Travis, hold my hand. I was like, what do you mean there's another one? She's like, well, see for yourself. Look, there's another. It looks like it's twins. And I was just like, really, I like could not process what she was saying, basically. I was just so dumbfounded by this news. And I would basically like started arguing with her. (laughs) You know, so this is like a fully licensed OBGYN. And I was like, you know, the sonogram tech is on vacation. This isn't your regular job. So maybe you don't know what you're doing. Wait, did you actually say that? I said that to her. I said like, it's, you know, you might be making a mistake because this isn't your regular job. I was basically (laughs) like, can I see the manager? (laughs) And she was like, well, look right here for yourself. We'll take some photos for you. And I was like, well, I've heard a thing where you can think it's like a phantom twin and it absorbs and then that's not really a thing. And she's like, not at this stage. You're just going through like all the things like why this lady could be really wrong. I know. She's like, not at this stage. Apparently that that may be a thing in a very early stage of pregnancy, like five or six weeks. They, They could see something before they could see a heartbeat. But she's like, at this stage, like, both embryos are equally viable. And, like, I was just, like, and so um, and and so to sort of give further context to, like, how unexpected this news was. So, like, there is no family history of twins in our families. We were not using any fertility drugs or enhancements. And I, I share that not because I think there's anything wrong with that. And, like, I do not think there should be any stigma around anyone who uses fertility treatments to expand their family, Mm -hmm. like full stop. Mm -hmm. But I share that just because we literally, there was nothing going on that could ever lead us to think that this would happen to us. (laughs) So that was, so as you can imagine, I was a little overwhelmed um, by this news. Mm -hmm. And there were like many moments where honestly, like this did not feel like joyous news. This just felt like such a reimagining of our entire lives. From a financial perspective, we had never discussed the idea of having three kids. It was just like not on the radar. It was on the fence for so long about having a second child. Like the third child had never come up. So it was during these weeks of like total emotional overwhelm that we started playing the second season of The Double Shift. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> so I imagine that as you're processing all this information and you're trying to plan season two of like what had been your baby, right? Right. Professionally, how did it start? How did the knowledge that you were pregnant with twins start influencing your thinking on season two? So I had been thinking about doing a theme for the second season and making the second season very like storytelling and interview based rather than topic based, which we did a little bit more of in season one. So our editorial team had been like batting around some ideas. But the idea that we say in the tagline of the season that the revolution at work begins with a revolution in our homes. So I've been saying that a version of that in articles and talks that I give for a while, like that's an idea that has been with me and is with many other feminist thinkers. I'm certainly not the first person to think of it. But really trying to dig into what that means and what that looks like from a storytelling perspective sort of like took on this like new sense of urgency for me. (laughs) There are so many tropes around like moms that really bother me. (laughs) I could do a whole show on that. Okay. One of the tropes I see that I think comes from a really good place is the like, you got this mama. If anybody can do it, it's you. Like that, Mm -hmm. I see that so much. And Rachel, bless you. You are not on social media. You are a better person for it. But I imagine, you know, this is a familiar sentiment to you. Yes, I am not on social media. I do access the internet from time to time. And I just see this attitude of valorizing this idea of like toughing it out as a mom and like you're tough and strong. You can do it on your own. And ooh, it's 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 a tall order, right? Right. And so I feel like I see it on social media so much. And You know, when people are battling really hard things in motherhood, like going back to work before they're ready or like feeling overwhelmed or isolated in their experiences of motherhood, the the sort of like, you got this mama chorus comes out. And again, this comes from, I believe, a very good place. But the problem I have with it is it's very individualistic. It's not, how can I help? Or you are not alone. What can we all do to make this better? Like it's it's very much in this ethos of when it comes to motherhood, you're on your own. So as I was processing the news of having twins, I was only, you know, starting to share this news with close friends. But I felt so strongly. I do not got this. I have not got this. I deeply do not have this. Like this is not something I can just like... I am not a super mom who can just like handle whatever is thrown at her and with a smile and like this is a big fucking deal and we, my husband and I, are going to need a lot of help to make our lives work and this is a huge curveball. So to me, I really wanted to engross myself and learn from guests of the double shift really about how to think outside the box about community and family as I was grappling with these issues myself. And oh, what a season it has been and will continue to be. We're going to take a break right there, and we'll be right back to talk more after a word from our sponsors. Hi, senior producer Rachel McCarthy. Hi, Catherine. Rachel, you are a freelancer, and I am a small business owner. Do you know a lot of other moms who are freelancers and small business owners? I do. My neighbor is an interior designer. I know mom writers and consultants. So just here in Durham, I also know photographers, graphic designers, accountants. And because there are so many moms out there who run small businesses, I am excited to share with our listeners about HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices 
all in one place because it's so confusing when this stuff is scattered across multiple services. HoneyBook makes it simple to run your business better. Professional templates, e-signatures, and built-in automation keeps everything on track and makes you look good. Unlike some business software, it's the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners. Save time and do more of what you love with HoneyBook. And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit honeybook.com slash doubleshift. Payment is flexible, and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So go to honeybook.com slash doubleshift for 50% off your first year. That's honeybook.com slash doubleshift, one word, for 50% off. Now I want to tell you about another sponsor, BarkBox. Every month, BarkBox sends the best all-natural treats and chews and innovative toys to match your dog's unique needs that you and your dog can't wait to open. BarkBox is also a great gift for dogs and their people. Give your friend or family member and their dog a gift that will not only surprise them the first time, but will continue to deliver joy throughout the year. Dog owners always need treats and toys, so this is a great gift. I don't have a dog, so I gifted a BarkBox to my mom, who is a fabulous grandma, and her dog, Wally, just in time for his 10th birthday. He's a 17-pound Maltese Poodle mix, and my son loves playing with him whenever he goes over to her house. They are total BFFs now, but when my son was a wild and unpredictable toddler, he'd totally pull Wally's tail and act like a maniac. Poor Wally totally deserves something special after those years of toddler mayhem, so I'm happy to gift him a BarkBox. It ships directly to your door, and it's a $40 value starting at $22 a month. There's lots of super fun toys that keeps dogs engaged and drool-worthy treats made in the U.S. and Canada without corn, soy, or wheat. And my mom reported Wally went quote-unquote berserk with happiness and especially loved the squeaky frying pan toy he got. For your free extra toy with BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com slash DoubleShift when you subscribe for a 6- or 12-month plan. You will receive an extra toy for a total of three toys in every box. That's an additional $9 value added to each box for free. That's BarkBox.com slash DoubleShift for a free extra toy with your subscription. And we're back. I'm senior producer Rachel McCarthy here with Double Shift host Katherine Goldstein. And we're talking about the inspiration for season two of The Double Shift, The Revolution Begins at Home. So my next question for you, Catherine, is how is what we're covering this season showing up in your home life? So Travis and I actually had already made our own version of like a radical life change about two years ago when we decided to move from Brooklyn to where we live now, Durham, North Carolina. And this was a really big decision and life change for us. And honestly, it's certainly not as creative and unusual and fascinating as the life choices of the guests of this season. That process does not warrant its own episode of The Double Shift in terms of interestingness. But we did it because we wanted an easier, less expensive life. And 
We wanted the added benefit of having more family support around. And, you know, we got all those things. Our quality of life here, I would say, is not only less expensive. It's just, like, so much less stressful. Like, there's no subway. There's not so much traffic. People aren't as stressed out about their jobs. So it's, like, easy to make friends and get together. And we don't have a commute. Neither of us have a commute because my husband and I both work from home. In many ways, we'd already set ourselves up to much better deal with this twins curveball than if we'd still lived in New York. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) That would have been a really huge fucking disaster. Anyway, but basically the importance of having and building community is like, I, I think, really such a huge threat of this season. And we see it in our episode. Natasha and Linda, the co-parents in Canada, talk about it. We talk about it in our episode, our first episode with Maria Ramirez, who talks about her program at Misericordia for single moms with kids. Uh, we see it in our episode with Ted Rao talking about his co-housing community. So this season has gotten me hugely focused on my community and how I plan, invest, and tap into the community we need for this sort of next step of our lives. So is that very different from when you were pregnant with your son? Oh my God, it's my attitude is so different than when I was pregnant with my son. Like so many first time moms, I thought the way you prepare for a baby was to do tons of research on like car seats and strollers and getting the quote unquote right gear. And like I went to this really expensive and judgmental birth class, which I completely hated and ended up not even needing because I had a planned C-section. And like um, I remember towards the end of my pregnancy, my OB was like, so are you going to have family help after the baby is born? I was like, "Um, sure. Like my mom is going to come for a visit, you know, whatever. But I was like, I don't get why we would need help. Like there's me and my husband that's like two adults and one baby like what's the need like why does anyone need help I don't get why you need help after you have a baby (laughs) oh Catherine oh Catherine you did not know so much to learn (laughs) and of course after my son was born I totally understood how important help and support is and I basically it's like basically the only thing that matters like fancy strollers do not matter at all and I just like wanted my mom to be there and hold the baby while I took a shower. Yes, that elusive shower. And made me food. Like, that's like all I wanted. So this time, especially because we're having twins, I'm like laser focused on getting all kinds of support lined up. Like, we are very fortunate to have three helpful grandparents close by, and we have already started discussing with them their assignments. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Like, what we're going to need, like, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Are Their spreadsheets. Yeah, I know. Like, vast numbers of email threads. (laughs) It's mostly been one-on-one, but I can definitely imagine a spreadsheet coming into this. Um, And, like, how we see their role in the early days. Like, we're already having this conversation months in advance. And a friend offered to set up a meal train. I'm like, yes to that. So basically, I've been focusing all my efforts into planning for the support we need. Like, I do not care about cute baby clothes or new gear or anything like that. Basically, I'm focusing all my time and our money and planning into figuring out, like, support, basically. And we're also going to have some paid help. And I just want to publicly embrace that I need that and I value that help. And I don't want to make that help invisible. Um, And I think we live in a culture where it's socially acceptable to spend money on stuff but it's still stigmatized to share that you spend money on paid Mm -hmm. caregiving Mm -hmm. 
And I definitely feel like the stories of this season have like really clarified for me all the different kinds of community help and support that you need. Absolutely. So you've written about and you've given talks about anti-mom bias and how moms and pregnant women are treated in the workplace. How has all of that knowledge that's been like bouncing around in your brain all this time, how's that informed your approach to this pregnancy? So that's a really interesting question. And I think about it like all the time. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> um, so when I was pregnant with my son, Asher, I worked in a very traditional and formal office with no other parents on my team. I had a commute. I needed to I needed to dress up for work, like all of that stuff. This was in New York. So my work environment at this time around, like basically. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this work environment. <laughs> could not be more different. Um, so, you know, we, we, we make the double shift at, at my house. It's a very casual work environment. And honestly, like working with you, Rachel, who is a mother of three, has been such a good fit for this season because I know you so deeply get it. Like, <laughs> yes, like there was this one moment I woke up at 4 a.m. because I was just like feeling really stressed about our tr- getting our trailer out. And, you know, we things were going really smoothly in general, but like I was just really worried about the trailer coming together And so I had gotten up early to do work. And by the time you arrived around 9 a.m., I was like totally cracked out. And I had done some hours of work and I was like so tired and I felt like a zombie. And I was like, I just I'm going to have to take a nap today. And like in pure empathy, but also in like on it efficiency was like, okay, great. Let me look at the schedule. So I think if you take a nap from (laughs) 10 to 11, I'm going to work on the cuts. And so then when you wake up, we can come back and have a meeting and everything will be great. And it was just like, (laughs) it's like, here's Rachel, like organized my life fitting my nap into the production schedule not oh god well what's your problem like we have a lot to do this is a busy day like <laughs> lazy pregnant lady of twins not able to push through after having done five hours of work by 9 a.m get with it <laughs> but I mean I just like it's not that we're not taking this work extremely seriously we are absolutely here to knock this season out of the park. It's mm-hmm. just, but part of knocking the season out of the park in the ethos of the double shift is just like fitting a nap into the production schedule. <laughs> so you've talked a lot about um, how supported you felt by this like small and mighty double shift team, um, but have you felt as supported sort of in the overall outside professional world? Yes. In the confines of the people who like work in my home, it has been a very supportive environment, shockingly. Um, But, you know, a lot of the business relationships I have are with people in other cities and I talk to on the phone who don't see me face to face. So it's actually really interesting because I have the luxury of choosing who I was telling that I was pregnant to for quite a while, like far past the point where if I saw them in person, they would obviously know I was pregnant. Uh, until now because I've announced it on the first episode of the show and I posted on social media. So basically, you know, at some point the cat's out of the bag. But even though for the most part, I feel like I've surrounded myself with excellent people in my extended networks who are very supportive of of me and of this work, I've totally held off for quite a while when telling some people I don't know well who I'm doing business with professionally that I'm pregnant with twins. I mean, 
I have a podcast about working mothers, so the idea that I'm pregnant <laughs> is not like the world's most shocking piece of news, I imagine. But people really react quite wildly when you tell them you're having twins, like way more than when you just tell them that you're having another baby. It's like a little over the top sometimes. In the larger world we live in, what is a better punchline to be taken seriously as a business person than saying that you're pregnant with twins? Mm -hmm. How that has manifested itself for me, especially around people who might be interested in funding the show, I've been hesitant about sharing it because of the extent of anti-mom bias I have encountered in my research and reporting. And I absolutely don't think that even someone like me who focuses on the work that I do is immune from anti-mom bias. So, Catherine, but let's talk about maternity leave. Like, how are you thinking about maternity leave and the double shift in 2020? Okay, so I'm getting out my soapbox. Here we go. (laughs) All right. Paid family leave, I believe, is a human right. I live in a state, North Carolina, that, like most states, has no family leave program. And ironically, even though I employ people, I myself do not have access to a single day of paid family leave. No paid sick days, no vacation days. So I will not be paid one dime during the time I am recovering from childbirth and bonding and taking care of not one but two newborns. Um, And I share this not because I want anyone to feel sorry for me, because I have talked to women who have to go back to work right away or like their electricity is going to be shut off. And that is not my situation. But I'm highlighting this because I just want one more time on this show to talk about the deeply unequal and unfair family leave system in our country and how broken it is and One of the things that I've encountered as I've started to tell family and friends and acquaintances that my maternity leave is going to be entirely unpaid is like what's surprising is how surprised people are. Like I think a lot of white collar workers think like family leave could be better or they wish they had more or they know that there's inequalities. A lot of people still don't really understand that for a lot of people or perhaps most people in America This broken system means they get absolutely nothing. And again, I'm not getting up on my soapbox about it because I believe I deserve better than other people, but because I believe everybody deserves better. Another thing I just want to add as well is that I feel like a trend I'm seeing about maternity leaves is some pretty prominent mothers who really emphasize and sort of showcase how short of a leave they are taking. And I say this honestly to not knock anyone's hustle and choices truly. Like, I hope that if you've made it this far in the double shift, you know that that's not what we're about. I just know that taking a very short leave and then like taking my baby or multiple babies around with me on business trips is just not going to work for me. And I don't want to normalize the idea that in order to be a serious professional and business person, that means you have to take a really short leave and then get right back at it. And that's the only way to do things. Right. And Amy Westervelt in her book talks about taking an afternoon off after giving birth and then like feeling pretty proud of herself about it. Like, look at how I'm able to just get right back at it. And then kind of realizing how fucked up it is that our society like values this or this was something that she felt proud of. So the double shift is likely 
to not have as high of an output in 2020. And like my small act of defiance is basically to refuse to apologize for that. I love that. Or just to feed into the narrative that I am a failure as a business person and I'm letting people down because of that. Right. And when you're talking, it really sort of relates to some of the themes that you talk about in the Fuck Mom Guilt World Tour, which we're actually going to be sharing with listeners um, after season two. Yeah. That there's nothing wrong with mothers and that other people are the ones that need to make the change. And that absolutely makes sense. And I really hope you sort of are grounded in that expectation for yourself (laughs) as opposed to expectation from others, especially when you're knee deep in two newborn sets of soiled diapers. (laughs) I'll have to re-listen to this episode then. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Okay. But I do have to ask you because dedicated listeners of the show, they're going to want to know, will you have a fill-in while you're on maternity leave? Are you applying for the role right now, Rachel? I am decidedly not. (laughs) I forced Rachel in front of the microphone. (laughs) Clearly. There's like a gun to her head right now. She's like, oh God, I have to be in front of the mic. Okay. I honestly would love to do that. Honestly, just because we have so many stories to tell, I really feel the sense of urgency that we have so much to do and so much that we can do and like that we're really just getting started. This has been a phenomenal year, but it's it's a first year. We have so much to do. Anna Sale, who is the host of WNYC's podcast, Death, Sex and Money, she did this amazing thing where they did this special interview series between a bunch of really interesting people while she was on maternity leave. Like it was different than the regular show, but it had some of the themes and it was really like cool and special content. And they branded it the maternity leave special. And they didn't try to like hide that she was on maternity leave and then or acted like it was this big disappointment to listeners or somehow this was like making a less quality show. Like I just loved everything about how they handled that and just really appreciate the tone she set there for that. And honestly, I would love to do something similar, but we just don't have the resources to do it. I mean, I'm so involved in every aspect of the show at this point, and we're still pretty new, and I can't really hand off a lot of the stuff that I do yet. But this is actually a lovely segue (laughs) into a plug for our membership program. (laughs) Um, Our membership program is so crucial to our finances and is going to really be an integral part in funding season three. So we're primarily funded through grants, but I have to hustle for all of those grants. That hustle is intense. That's another episode. Okay. But I don't have all of our funding set like the next three years. Everything's paid for. It's still sort of piecemeal and DIY. So anything we can do to be grassroots and community funded and self-sufficient is so great. I love the membership program. Because it's small and reoccurring donations rather than like a one-time donation. So we're able to basically count on and plan for a certain amount of money coming in every month, which is so helpful to our budgeting. Like I can look at how many members we have and know we're going to have this much money every month. And that's just huge. So if you've thought about joining because you're passionate about the mission of the show and you can't wait for season three, do not wait. Go ahead and join today. It starts at $5 a month right now, and you can give more if you're able. And we also do special members-only episodes, bonus content, and we're experimenting with some other fun community-building efforts. And I know there are so many worthy causes out there. So honestly, I I truly feel honored by every single member, and it really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. 
So, Catherine, we've been talking about season two. We touched on season one a bit. We've been talking about your pregnancy and what you're anticipating and hoping for with your maternity leave. But as you think about 2020 in your own life and the life of the double shift, what are your big hopes? So I feel like being pregnant with twins has disabused me of any notion that I am in control of my life. (laughs) Like this plot twist is like so far outside the realm of anything I can control or plan for. (laughs) It's actually made me a lot less anxious than I was during my first pregnancy. Like I am not the conductor of this train. I am back in row 29, like eating a snack. Like I have no control over how things are going. (laughs) So I think basically my hopes and goals are having healthy babies and then actually trying to enjoy the process and chaos of adding these two tiny members to our family. I did not always enjoy the newborn stage and the infant stage with my son, Asher. I really had a lot of anxiety and overwhelm during his first year and These are definitely our last children. (laughs) You say that now. (laughs) Oh, God. And so I understand now, like, how quickly it all goes. So there is this sort of sense of, like, this being, this is it. You know, and for the show, I'm ambitious as ever. This is still an indie media company, and I'm learning so much as I go. You know, I'm being totally transparent about the fact that I don't have every aspect of how to do this figured out. And... I don't have all the details of how we're going to pull off season three figured out perfectly to just like present to you to make everything seem so smooth and, you know, like there's no disruption at all in this whole process. But I've already fought so hard for this show and for the vision and for creating momentum behind this work of changing the conversation and challenging the status quo around motherhood. Like my commitment to the long term vision of this work remains like totally unchanged. I will find a way, you know, I've made it this far. I will find a way. And I know we can come back for an amazing season three. And my hope is that our members continue to stick with us and support us and cheer us on, knowing that their contributions are absolutely crucial in bringing us back for season three. And I hope all of our listeners are waiting for us and totally amped for the season when we come back. Sounds great. I can't wait, Catherine. Fortunately for our listeners, we aren't done yet. We have an awesome season finale with author Angela Garbus next week. So be sure you're subscribed to listen to that show. And for members this week, I am doing a very special interview <laughs> with a crucial partner in all things Double Shift that you've never heard from. Computer programmer, rock band frontman, music composer for the show, super dad, and my husband, Travis Morrison. <laughs> I will be asking him some questions about the mental load of our family, expecting twins and more. Oh, God. You don't want to miss this. <laughs> Become a member of The Double Shift. Membership starts at $5 a month. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. That's thedoubleshift.com slash join to become a member. The Double Shift is created and hosted by me, Catherine Goldstein. Our senior producer is Rachel McCarthy. We're also produced by Asal Asanipur. Our editor is Anita Rao. Our editorial advisor is Amy Westervelt. Our research assistant is Julia Hayward. Music by Travis Morrison. Our theme song is by Palehound. Audio mix by Ashley Ann Krigbaum. Our advisory board includes Amy Henderson and Lauren Smith Brody. We are funded in part by the generous support of the Ford Foundation and you, our members. 
Don't forget to go to thedoubleshift.com slash join to become a member. We are independently produced and part of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. Thanks for joining The Double Shift.